Happy Memorial Day weekend, and welcome to our special online-only uh, version of Westbridge Church this weekend. Uh, my name is Jeremiah. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're thrilled that you're joining us. Memorial Day is a day in the United States where we specifically set aside a day to remember those who have given their lives as a sacrifice to secure freedom for others. So I want to begin by taking a moment to remember those brave men and women who have given their lives in the name of freedom. Jesus said that there is no greater love than one who lays down their life for their friends. Every person I've ever known who served in our armed forces did so not out of a desire to take life, but out of a desire to preserve it. And if necessary, lay down their own life in order to do that. And many through the years have done exactly that. And today we honor their sacrifice. It's with sincere gratitude that we remember them and express uh, our, our thanks and our heartfelt gratitude. As I think about this weekend, I'm reminded that one of the greatest uh, resources the church has to show the love of Jesus to the world is our unity. As Jesus people, we should be building more bridges than creating division. Uh, we should model what it looks like to stay united even when we don't agree on everything. But have you noticed our culture is hell-bent on dividing us in any and every way possible. Think about all of the things that have worked to bring division into not only our culture, but into our, the church world in the last couple of years. Vaccination status, uh, mask wearing, uh, political preference, race, economics, uh, Vikings versus Packers, right? And in this storm of division, our world needs a unified church more than ever before. And I've said this before, but it is so important to remember that unity does not mean uniformity. If everyone in your church looks just like you and acts just like you and votes just like you and thinks exactly like you, then you're probably not in the church. You're probably in a cult. You see, the church can be beautifully united in the midst of our differences. That's what that means. That's what unity means. Not that we have everything in common, but that we love each other unconditionally in spite of our differences. The basis of our unity is Jesus. And yet here's why division comes our way. It's because uh, some of us are more committed to ideology than theology. Some of us are more committed to ideology than theology. What does that mean? Well, theology is what you believe about God and how you see and understand God. Ideology has a lot more to do with what you believe about the world and how you see and understand the world. And if we are a follower of Jesus and we let our ideology, the way that we see the world, take precedent over our theology, then we become susceptible to division. And what's dividing churches right now and Christians right now and families right now is not the way that we see God. What's dividing uh, Christians and families and the church right now is not our theology. It is our ideology. It's the way that we see the world because we all have opinions about everything that's happened in the last two years. You have opinions about vaccines and masks and racial injustice and protests and police and politics and presidents and policies and inflation and dot, 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 right? Fill in the blank with your favorite thing that you've got a, an opinion about. And none of that has to do with theology. It has to do with ideology. 
And rather than try to understand why someone else has landed where they land on a particular issue, we tend to retreat to our own echo chambers on the internet or social media or cable news and continue to be fed whatever narrative we already have or more of the narrative that we're looking for. And if we're not careful, we can become more committed to our ideology than our theology. And it was, it was not a carefully aligned ideology that changed the world. It was a theology. It was a way of seeing God that changed the world. It wasn't a set of ideas around culture. It was a way of viewing God that changed the world. It was a theology based in unity that changed the world. In fact, here's what will help us get back on track. We need to recapture what it means to be the church. We need to recapture what it means to be the church. See, the church was a radical idea that created a radical new community. Now, this is a little bit odd, but the word radical actually comes from the word radish. That's right. Now, uh, radishes are a vegetable, right? But here's what they are. They are a root vegetable. So when something uh, is talked about as radical, something radically changes, it means it has changed from deep in the core of what it is, deep in the roots all the way through. So when something is radically different, it means it's changed from the, from the very root of what it is all the way to the top. And the church is the root of a brand new community, something the world had never seen. And what's gotten lost for many of us over the years is how radically different the church originally was and is meant to be from the world around it. In fact, the Apostle Paul, writing to some of the very first Christians about 20 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, and he writes these words, and I want you to see the kind of radical lives these followers lived in this radical new community. And here's what he writes to a group of people in Colossae. He says, So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still a part of this world. These first Jesus followers had a conversion experience. They didn't grow up in church. Their parents didn't follow Jesus. They used to live one way. Then they had heard about Jesus, his life and his teachings and his death and his resurrection. And they believed. They put their trust in Jesus. And because they experienced God's grace in salvation, uh, they, were, uh, not, they, they were beginning to change their behavior, becoming more and more like Jesus. And this is one of the problems our world has with Christians today. They see very little difference in us. They see people call themselves Christians who are being judgmental, who are being greedy and not generous, living just as immoral lives as they do. And Paul continues. He actually says this. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your own sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. So here's what Paul is saying. Keep letting Jesus change you. He's writing to this new community, a radical new community. 
And he's saying, keep letting Jesus change you. Don't settle for simply having a renewed ideology. Let God reshape your theology. Don't just let God uh, shape the way that you view culture and do things a little bit different. Let God completely make you a brand new creation. Let, let God's process do its work of deeply forming you in Christ from the root down. Uh, keep being renewed. Keep becoming more and more like your creator. And then he says something that is so unbelievable that describes uh, what this radical new community is all about. Check this out. In this new life, in this radical new community that isn't just about ideology, it's about theology. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. Now, when you look at our society today and think we have a long way to go towards uh, equality in our, in our sort of culture and society, you have no idea the level of inequality and division in the world 2,000 years ago. And Paul is saying this, in this radical new community, all of these groups are together. And they're not just together, they're equals and they're not just equals, they're actually unified. They, they, they looked at each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Now you have to understand this. There was nowhere in society in the first century Roman Empire where something like this existed. And in this church, Paul says, there is Jew and Gentile. Now, here's what that means. Jew and Gentile. Jews grew up believing what is a Jew? What's a Gentile? Well, Jewish people are, uh, they're from the nation of Israel and a Gentile is anybody who's not Jewish. And so here's what you had. Jewish people were taught, they grew up in a system of uh, religious exclusivity and they were taught, hey, you're the best, you're God's chosen people. And in fact, uh, you don't hang out with Gentiles. You don't go on play dates with Gentiles. You don't meet them at the well, you know, the, like you stay away from them. Otherwise you're going to become unclean. And Paul says here in this new radical new community, there is Jew and Gentile. And then he says in this church, in this radical new community, there is circumcised and uncircumcised. Again, what does that mean? Well, circumcised is something that set the Jewish people apart. It was something that God instituted early on in their nation and said, this is, this is going to set you apart. And uh, personally, I don't know why it wasn't like a secret handshake or something. I feel like that we could have done something like that. But the truth is, for somebody who was considered circumcised and somebody who was uncircumcised, it meant you're not a part of our group. It was a, a line of demarcation that would say, okay, I'm in and you're not. And here's what the Apostle Paul says. Hey, not only is there Jew and Gentile in this new radical new community of Jesus, there's also circumcised and uncircumcised. Then he says this, in this church, there are barbarians. Okay, well, well what is a barbarian? Well, a barbarian, you have to think about this. In, uh, you had the, uh, the Greeks and you had the barbarians. You have to understand that the, the New Testament is translated and written in several languages. Uh, it's written in um, Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek. And the Greeks are the people who were enlightened. The Greeks were the people who had culture. The Greeks were the people who had education. They had a senate. Uh, people generally had ideas that they brought to the table. A lot of our modern form of government comes from the original Greek society. And Paul says in this church, there's barbarians. What's a barbarian? A barbarian is somebody who isn't Greek. 
Everybody who's not Greek is a barbarian. They're lower than, they're less than, they're second-class citizens. And then he says, also, in this church, there are Scythians. All right, well, okay, what is a Scythian? A Scythian is lower than a barbarian. Okay, if you're thinking, all right, what's a barbarian? Your only reference is like uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger in Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> but the truth is, uh, barbarians were less than Greeks, and then Scythians were less than barbarians. And Scythians were a warmongering, violent people who were always drunk or high. And they would be really kind of like a gang of warlords. They were the people that uh, were just a violent people and they were mercenaries. Uh, the Roman Empire would use them when they didn't want to get their hands dirty. And so when they would go to war, they'd say, hey, we need you, you go murder everybody in that town. And they would go and do it and carry out uh, the sort of violent whims of the Roman Empire. And here you have them in this church. Paul says in this church, it's, it, there's, there's both Jew and Gentile, Jew and Greek, Jew and Roman. He says, in this, in this church, sitting together, there is both circumcised and uncircumcised. In this church, there's barbarians and there are Scythians. And think about this. In this church, he says, there are slaves and free. Slaves and free. So now he says, you have people who are indentured servants. The Roman Empire could not imagine, the world at this time could not imagine a culture or a society that didn't include slavery. These are people who were indentured servants or prisoners of war. And then you had people who were their owners and masters and free people. And they're all together. And they weren't just sitting next to each other. They're actually equals. Why? Because Christ is all that matters. And he lives in all of us. This is what set the church apart from the world. This is the only place where divisions that kept people apart crumbled. In this new community of Jesus followers, there was unity like nowhere else in the world. The world would look at this community and say, people like that love each other? People like that serve each other? People like that, they give to each other and they have each other into one another's homes? Nobody did that. And it's what made the church stand out against the culture. It wasn't their ideology. It was their theology. Their view of God caused them to prioritize unity in Christ above ideological differences. In this new life. In this new life. In fact, this hits different for us. If we were to read this, you're going to read from the Jeremiah Curran translation here. If we were to read this this year, we would read it like this. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are vaxxed or unvaxxed, masked or unmasked, Democrat, Republican, conservative, or progressive, Christ is all that matters. And he lives in all of us. Now that hits home a little different, doesn't it? And what has happened in the universal church is we are so tempted to prioritize our ideology over our theology. When that happens, then we've prioritized a potentially flawed view over the you next to you. And when we do that, then regardless of what we claim to believe, we don't actually look any different from anyone else in the world. And why would anyone who is a part of our current culture want to be a part of something that is no different than what they already have? In this church, 
Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. And we have to fight for this because unity doesn't come easy. It's easier to just go somewhere where everyone thinks like you and everybody votes like you. That's easy. What's difficult is sitting in worship with a barbarian or a Democrat. What's difficult is sitting in a small group with a Scythian or a Republican. But it displays the glory of God. It tells the story that there is something bigger and more important that keeps us together. Because God is not asking us to come together and reflect culture. He's inviting us to create a radical new culture with him. And since we follow an eternal king, why would we ever allow ourselves be, to be divided over anything that's temporary? Our unity as followers of Jesus is not rooted in agreement in all things. Our unity is rooted in love for one another because of how Jesus has loved us. And the way that the world is going to stand up and take notice is because this church that is so diverse and so different with all the different people and all of our different backgrounds is so unified in our mission that even when we disagree, and especially when we disagree, we still love each other unconditionally. Who does that? This is what would eventually get the attention of the pagan world. This is what would eventually get the attention of the Roman Empire. And we must not sacrifice our unity with one another for anything. So here's the question. What does love require of me even when I don't agree? What does it look like for me to love others even when, and especially when, we don't see eye to eye? That's the mission of the church. Because when we love like that, we point others to something bigger than ourselves. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. And if your experience with followers of Jesus has been anything other than this, I'm sorry. That is a reflection of imperfect people that is not a reflection of Jesus. Jesus loves you and he invites you into a brand new community. If you've never said yes to that invitation, I want to invite you, I want to give you the opportunity to say yes to following Jesus. And here's what that means. Uh, Jesus came into this world and Jesus allowed himself to be put to death. His body was laid in a tomb. And according to multiple eyewitness accounts, he rose from the dead. And the one prayer Jesus had for his followers is that we would continue to be united as him and his father are united so that we could show the world what the love of Jesus looks like. And so what does love require of me, even when we don't agree? And if you've never said yes to following Jesus and you want to do that, you can right where you sit right now just agree with this simple prayer as we close. God, please forgive my sins. Forgive me for the times that I've walked away from you. And I, I thank you that you never walked away from me. And I see what the world could be if, if in spite of our differences, we loved each other well. That we loved each other unconditionally, even when and especially when we don't agree. That's the kind of love that you have for me. That's the kind of way I want to live. So I want to say yes to the invitation to be a part of your family. Make me your son. Make me your daughter. 
And then help me to follow you and to trust you with my life from this moment on as best as I know how. Thank you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us. Have a great Memorial Day weekend.